Welcome back to the Everything That Came Before Grace podcast. I'm Bill C. Hopefully by now you've heard the inaugural episode, so you know what the book is about, because it's time to get into it. We start off in December 2007. Benjamin is sitting in the waiting room of the Kaiser Mental Health Facility that's at Washington and Inglewood over in Culver City. And while he waits to see his longtime therapist, Cassandra, he's staring out the window at this old couple sitting on a bench in overcoats and fedoras. It looks like it's 1942 or something. And it's like seeing his own vision come to life. Benjamin fancies himself a writer, so he starts to jot down a backstory for this old couple. When he's called in to see Cassandra, we start to see the inner struggle going on with Benjamin, how he maintains two worlds, the crazy one he tries to keep under wraps and a secret from his daughter Sophia, and the one outside with the mask on. This duality is at the heart of his drive to protect Sophia from the mental illness that runs in his family. He's haunted by his mother's death because he wasn't able to get her into what he calls the lifeboat in time. So he's hell-bent on getting Sophia into one. Alright, before we get into chapter one, remember, check out the Everything That Came Before Grace website and like the Facebook page and Spotify playlist, which has all the songs name-checked in the book. And without further ado, here's Chapter 1, The Lifeboat. Prologue Chapter 1, The Lifeboat, December 21st, 2007 I'm staring out the waiting room window. An old couple is sitting on a bench out front holding hands, the portrait of contentment. Even from this distance, I can see their roomy eyes still sparkle at each other. They probably finish each other's sentences. Bundled up in overcoats and fedoras, they look like holdovers from those bygone days when everyone used to go out with hats. As I watch them speak to each other from out of earshot, I get an eerie sense I'm watching a vision I had about a girl I used to love that's come to life. I take out my journal and start jotting down a backstory. It was their first day of college. She was beautiful and out of his league but he just had to know her. He told her he liked the cool way she walked and she rolled her eyes, but inside she felt a spark go off. She came to love the way he talked about music and writing and whether God exists, especially on those long drives they took up the coast. Plus, she never met anyone who loved old movies as much as she did. She'd scoff when he told her theirs was a love for the ages but he never stopped believing it. People asked what their secret was, and they'd smile at each other and say, Love is magic and a mystery. Benjamin, a familiar female voice, calls out from behind the counter. Cassandra will see you now. Ah, hell, that old couple probably just met on eHarmony. 
They buzz me in as I walk the long, drab hallway, indiscernible from any other Kaiser clinic. I'm singing the chorus to the foreboding Sour Times by Portishead, still fresh from the car ride over. Nobody loves me, it's true. Nobody loves me. I enter Cassandra's office and give her a wave. Hello, Benjamin, she says, barely glancing up, her amber eyes hidden by her brown, unruly hair. I'll be right with you. As I wait for my longtime therapist to bring up my chart for about the millionth time, I take my usual seat next to the window overlooking the teeming traffic on Washington Boulevard. I glance up at the Christmas cards draped from one side of the office to the other. It's that time of year, the dread and anxiety brought on by the holiday season, and judging by how crowded the waiting room is, business must be booming around here. Nine years ago, I was a wreck, just trying to keep it together after everything that happened. Someone told me to get some therapy, and I've been coming here ever since. Cassandra has a kind of serene and celestial otherness to her. My mom used to say there are parts of some people that don't photograph. Cassandra's like that. It's her warm and forgiving eyes that probably convinced her she's made for this line of work. Equal parts Spanish and Greek, she comes from one of those big, close-knit families. Total opposite of mine. She projects such a reserved and stately persona it's funny the way she tugs at the end of her sleeve to hide the tattoo of the bird on the back of her wrist. After our first session, I went to hug her portly frame, and she said she doesn't let her patients do that. So when we wrap up, we just shake hands like we closed a deal at a power lunch. So, Benjamin, Cassandra says, turning to face me, last time we were talking about trying not to be so severe with yourself. Oh, nothing's changed, I say, letting out a sigh. I still feel like I have to keep the storm windows up so nothing crazy comes out. We've talked about this. There's your perception and there's reality, she reminds me, a mantra of hers. I lean forward and start rubbing my thighs like I'm sanding down a two-by-four. She watches that for a minute then says, You seem agitated. To be honest, I'm pissed off, I say. How so, she asks. Oh, it happened again, I say. I mean, I thought I had this. What do you mean, she asks. Well, yesterday, I begin. I took off work to get to Sophia's parent-teacher conference. We get home, and I make dinner and help her with her homework, watch a movie together, read to her. You know, like everything. And I get just a toothbrushing away from this perfect night so I can breathe again, you know? But I see the end in sight. And when she doesn't get right in bed, I yelled at her. I paused to catch myself. And I look down at her sweet, heart-shaped face. And she's, she's staring up at me so confused that her dad just seconds before was happy and joking and and then boom something snaps i mean i've just been beating the shit out of myself ever since benjamin kids don't hold on to these moments like we think they do she says in her comforting voice
a little slip at the end of an otherwise great day? That's okay. You think I don't remember watching my mom rock back and forth, her mouth pressed up against her knees, talking about killing herself? You think I don't remember her telling me she'd be right back and then disappearing for weeks? Believe me, I wish I could forget. That startles her, and she pauses to regroup. Well, remember this, she says, regaining her footing. Your upbringing was very different. You're breaking the cycle. Sophia doesn't know that, I say. She just wants her dad to be normal. That's all any kid wants. Just fucking be there and don't be a crazy person. If I can't do that, what good am I? But why give yourself so little margin for error, she asks. Because I'm all Sophia has. I've got no backup. No one to play good cop, bad cop with. No one who can tell me I stuck the landing. Well, it's okay to admit you're struggling sometimes. Give yourself a break, she says. What am I supposed to say? Uh, uh, Sorry, Soph, losing my shit here, taking a mental health day today. No, not those exact words, she says, trying to lighten things. But you can tell her you need a minute, can't you? I stare at her, not intending to answer, because I've already moved on to the next thing I want to tell her. I stall nod while I try to find the words. It's like, I live this double life, I go on. This world I live outside with Sophia, where it feels like I'm holding my breath all the time. Then there's this place inside, where I hear the voices and do battle with all myself. I trail off and start tapping the arm of my chair and counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Always in sets of eight. What if all this insanity I grew up around gets me too, I say. I'm scared it's going to get passed through me to Sophia. Mental illness is not a virus, Benjamin. Sophia can't catch it. We've talked about this. It got my mom, I say, pausing. And I keep thinking, what if Sophia would be better off without me? Come on, Benjamin, she says, sounding exasperated. You don't really believe that. We stop to stare at each other, something we do a lot of until someone can't take the silence anymore. I cave first. You know what the great irony is, I ask? All that insanity I grew up around? That's what gives me the drive to do this. I've got to prove those fuckers didn't destroy me. Well, then use it, she urges. It's yours, isn't it? Yeah, well, the thing is, I say, pausing to find the right words, I've crafted this persona of having overcome and sacrificed so much. You know, this poor guy who weathered tragedy and came out the other side, And I'm like, don't worry about me. That's all behind me now. I've got this. To admit, I'm still deep down in it, barely holding on. That would ruin the narrative. Well, even here, she says, whenever we wrap up, you give me a smile and we do our handshake and you tell me you're good. Classic people pleaser, right? Leave it to the crazy person to make sure the therapist doesn't have to worry. She lets out a little chuckle, then it turns silent again. I just, I I can't shake this feeling I've always had, I go on, starting to sand down my thighs again. This feeling of dread, this feeling like the other shoe is about to drop. I just, I can't let happen to me what happened to Sophia. But that's your journey, 
Don't project that onto her, she says, another of her mantras. Benjamin, we've talked about needing to stay in the moment. You have kids, I shoot back. You know when you become a parent, you can't live in the moment anymore. You gotta live in the future so they can live in the moment. Well, let's just focus on what's right here, she says, trying to shift directions. Have you given any thought about dating yet? No. I just... No, I answer. I gotta get Sophie into the lifeboat first. She squints at me. What do you mean, the lifeboat? My whole life, I had this image of a lifeboat that was just floating there, within reach. But... I could never get in until everyone else got in first. But don't you get to be saved, she asks. Growing up, everyone's problems always seemed so much worse, so I was like, here, you get in. I'll just swim. I look out the window again. I can feel her studying me. Benjamin, she asks. I just, I couldn't save her, I finally say. Couldn't save who, she asks. My mom. I couldn't get her in the lifeboat in time. I've just got to hold on long enough so I can get Sophie in one. I just have to. Cassandra glances at her watch and grimaces. I'm sorry, but I'm afraid we're out of time. Can we pick this up next time? It's okay, I say. I gotta go pick up Sophia. I can't be late again.